The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Somebody I spoke to last night, again, who's not affiliated with the team, told me, don't expect, don't expect David Pepper to just stand by. When I spoke to my source close to the team, and I asked them, you know, is there any uh, possibility that there would be a trade, that the Panthers would trade uh, for Deshaun Watson? The uh, response was, Welcome in to Between the Hashes, a college football and NFL draft podcast with a twist today. We're going to react and we're going to discuss some news from the NFL as it pertains to the NFL. After all, the Deshaun Watson saga, that is what it is after yesterday. I'm Cam Meller, joined by Tony Pauline. Tony, you were up late last night, maybe, perhaps, discussing some things, uh, writing some stories online? Writing, editing, trying to get more information. I mean, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, we start off Saturday. Iowa gets pounded by Purdue, uh, which I think was a surprise to, to uh, many, the way uh, they were never in that game. A couple interesting games on Sunday, and then really the news uh, of the last 24 hours, less than 24 hours, uh, which should come as a surprise to nobody, but we'll talk about that as the show goes on. Yeah, so the news being here, a report published in the Houston Chronicle about the Houston Texans and Miami Dolphins, the talks intensifying to potentially ship out Last year's maybe talk of the town in this offseason's talk of the town to Sean Watson to Miami, a multitude of reasons. Uh, general manager at Houston, Nick Casario, inherited this situation, this this uh, Deshaun Watson situation, as Deshaun has uh, asked for a trade. They, he's historically now on record as asking for three first round picks and a multitude of other draft capital, not just this year, next year, and as they rebuild after Deshaun Watson. That is the the latest. It's it's sort of it, it mirrors, I guess, what we've seen all off season. At least I don't know if it was necessarily groundbreaking. Maybe just in the sense that, or that at least that report wasn't groundbreaking. But we shook some trees. You had some stories that come, that went out on ProFootballNetwork.com last night. So I would uh, I'll give you the floor for this to discuss what uh, what you know and what you found out. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I, I think it was kind of groundbreaking because first, let's give John McClain of the Houston Chronicle credit because he said, according to sources. His sources, a deal may be done by the end of the week. So I, I think that was pretty groundbreaking. I mean, we this was always lurking in the background, and it should come as no surprise because as the trade deadline got closer and closer, you knew the chatter was going to get louder and louder. And according to McLean's report yesterday, or, or at least from what he's hearing, it's getting pretty loud. Now, what I reported last night on Pro Football Network after speaking with a multitude of people is two things. Stephen Ross is at the point where he feels he's got to win now. He's 81 years old, and it's a situation where he has to win sooner rather than later. Kind of brings me back to, and I know Jet fans will remember this, 1995, when Jets owner Leon Hess, who rarely spoke to the press, got in front of the media and said, I'm 85 years old. I don't have much time left. Of course, Leon Hess then went and hired Rich Kotite, uh, <laughs> which was uh, made, the, made the situation go from bad to worse. But I'm told people down in the South Florida area, it's a situation where Ross realizes he better win sooner rather than later. And then coupled in with that is that head coach Brian Flores and general manager Chris Greer are on the hot seat. I mean, things have just not worked out. There were some high hopes for the Miami Dolphins this year. It has not, uh, it has not played out that way. Uh, you know, and like we said, you know, Deshaun Watson potentially ending up with the Miami Dolphins has been talked about you know, since the offseason started. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you agree with the fact that they're giving up on tour uh, is right or wrong, it's something that was talked about. That came to a grinding halt with all of those a- a- allegations. 
Now, people I spoke with last night that there was, uh, last night tell me that there are some in the Dolphins organization who feel that two is not the answer. And I know when this was posted by Pro Football Network on Twitter, people were complaining he just had two games, he just had two group games, he's just playing well, he played better last week than Justin Herbert. The fact is he's not playing every week. It's a, it's a combination of inconsistent play and injuries for Tua, which has hampered him this year. Really didn't hamper him too much last year. I believe he missed one game with an injury once he was eventually uh, inserted into the lineup. And injuries that he struggled with throughout the Alabama his Alabama career. So it's a combination of a couple of things. And you can say that Tua played better than Justin Herbert last week. That's great. But literally for the past year and a half, Justin Herbert has had a significant edge over uh, Tua. And the Dolphins chose Tua, or I should say Chris Greer chose Tua over Justin Herbert. Um, obviously, the compensation for Tua is a major issue. As McLean said yesterday, Nick Cesario wants three first-round picks. Uh, he, wants, he wants a boatload of picks, and he feels he's in the driver's seat. You know, and this is despite the fact that the, you know, the allegations and the investigation are hanging over Deshaun Watson's head, and they could turn into a, a criminal, uh, criminal charges. The question is, would any picks that are uh, received uh, by the Houston Texans for Deshaun Watson be uh, – Conditional picks, whereas they trade for Deshaun Watson, and if these these investigations turn into criminal charges, are they going to get the picks back? Are the picks going to turn from first round picks into fifth round picks? Uh, a lawyer that who I spoke with last night, who's in the league, said it would be malpractice for any team to trade picks to the Houston Texans in return for Deshaun Watson, and those picks not be based on the condition; those not be conditional picks based on the results of the criminal investigation, if that is the correct term, uh, into the allegations made against Deshaun Watson. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, It's, you know, I feel something will happen. I don't know if anything is going to happen immediately. That's an interesting interesting piece to me. And if I'm the Miami Dolphins or any other team that's invested or interested in Deshaun Watson, if they're willing to accept a conditional pick, I'd be willing to send those picks if I had the capital, to be honest, because a player like a Deshaun Watson at the height of his game is an all-pro quarterback type player who's going to elevate the rest of the cast around him. You can put the cast of characters that the Dolphins have right now, and Deshaun is going to elevate them. He's already elevated players like Will Fuller uh, and basically anybody on the Houston Texans over the past few years. So in my opinion, if I'm if I'm willing to give up a, a cast of fifth-rounders that turn into first-rounders, that means Deshaun's playing for me, and that means my team is ultimately better. So I'd be in my opinion, based on you know where we're at with the Miami Dolphins quarterback situation, we've talked about it on the show, actually, where quarterbacks used to have three years of leeway into getting into the NFL. And if you're not doing it by year three, right now we're talking about Tua. If he's not doing it by game three at this point, he's he's out. They've given up. I, it's obviously been a little bit longer than that for Tua. But another interesting thing to me, too, there was another team that was in the mix, another team that was brought up. There was a bevy of Twitter reports and news and everything that came out. Another team that stuck out that's sort of been in the in the loop in the running or at least in the conversation is the Carolina Panthers. Right. Your knowledge, how do how did the Panthers play into this? Yeah, now I was told by a couple of people last night they they believe that Carolina is going to be a player, is still a player uh, for Deshaun Watson despite trading for Sam Darnold. You have to wait and see how Darnold move, uh, plays moving forward. Now, there are people close to the situation tell me that they don't think. They're not affiliated with the Panthers, but they're close with the Panthers who tell me that they they believe that the Panthers don't know 
or don't, may not even think that Darnold is the answer for the Panthers moving forward. He started off the season hot. He lost three games in a row. In those three games, he's thrown three inter, uh, six interceptions. And interceptions are nothing new for Sam Darnold. When he played well as a rookie for the New York Jets uh, in 2018, he threw a ton of interceptions. He threw a bunch of interceptions the prior two years. Interceptions were a problem for Sam Darnold dating back to his days at USC. Wall security has always been a problem. So the next two weeks, the uh, the Panthers play the New York Giants and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll see if Darnold can right the ship. So there is still some people who question whether or not Darnold is the answer for the Panthers moving forward. Now, let's put it on top of that is, is the fact that David Tepper, as we first reported Pro Football Network, is a guy who wants, wanted Deshaun Watson uh, in Carolina. He wanted the Panthers to be major uh, players in the trade with Deshaun Watson before everything hit the fan as far as Watson was concerned and the allegations. Somebody I spoke to last night, again, who's not affiliated with the team, told me, don't expect, don't expect David Tepper to just stand by. When I spoke to my source close to the team, and I asked them, you know, is there any uh, possibility that there would be a trade, that the Panthers would trade uh, for Deshaun Watson? The uh, response was maybe at the last minute. So I think that you have to keep Carolina in, in, the, uh, in, in the back of your mind as far as potentially trading for Deshaun Watson. And here we are, November 2nd, the NFL trade deadline for the 2021 season becoming increasingly more must-watch TV, for lack of a better term, as we get closer to it. But that leads me to it. The November 2nd trade deadline, it's approaching. We still have a week and a half, since some change before that happens. Is there a trade for Deshaun Watson imminent, or is this something that you think goes on a little bit for the next week and a half and we continue to hear about it? Yeah, I know that John McClain said in, in his article in the Houston Chronicle, it could happen by the end of this week. I was not getting that feeling from the people I was talking to. I think that Nick Cesario of the Houston Texans feels he's in a good spot. I, I mean, he doesn't, he's got to trade him before the uh, deadline of November 2nd, but there's no real reason to trade him, you know, immediately. Obviously, any picks, which may be at the top of the draft, or which he hopes at the top of the draft, it's probably not going to be for a quarterback. I mean, they look like they have their quarterback in the future. And Davis Mills, who plays, who's been playing very good football at the quarterback spot, has done a good job leading that team uh, for a quarterback that was selected in the third round. So I, I don't see. I, I think this is my own personal opinion from talking with people. I think unless Miami somehow blows away uh, Cesario with a major offer, which I don't think is going to happen, I think what's going to happen is Cesario is just going to sit back, see what happens, see if he can rope Carolina into these talks, and then take it from there. Yeah, he's waited this long. There's no real reason to rush anything this week. So I'm I would echo the sentiment there. There's the the talk of the town will be the Deshaun Watson news until the probably the trade deadline up into that four o'clock trade deadline on trade deadline day. So a lot coming for it. Let's reset the tone. I think a lot is lost in this discussion from the legal discourse that's happening with Deshaun Watson. Who's gonna come? Tua Tungabailoa and how he's playing. And now we're gonna talk about Darnold at Carolina. Let's reset it. Let's go back. 2020 was, by all in town, uh, accounts and measures, Deshaun Watson's best season. One of the better seasons we've seen from a quarterback in some time as well. So what kind of quarterback, if the Dolphins, if the Panthers, or whatever team happens to possibly trade for Deshaun Watson, what type of quarterback is this team getting? 
You know, I have a concern about that because this all has to weigh on Deshaun Watson. It's going to weigh on any human being, all these allegations and accusations. Now, if they take a turn where there were illegal activities, that's one major issue. That's a major issue for Deshaun Watson. But if Deshaun Watson is somehow sort of uh, cleared of all the allegations and there's no criminal uh, intent here or, or no crime was committed and, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. That's it's a, There's something that's still going to be hanging over his head. And, and there's going to be a lot of stress. I had to play much football. You know what? We live, I, I think I speak for the majority of us when I, when I say you are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But as we've seen in this day and age, you know, oftentimes you are guilty even if you're proven innocent. And I think that if Deshaun Watson is legally cleared of all these issues, gets back on the football field, that's what he's. That's what he's going to have to deal with. I mean, if he's traded to the Miami Dolphins, what do you think is going to happen when he goes up to play the New York Jets, or goes into New England, and, or goes into Buffalo to play the Buffalo Bills? What's the fan reaction going to be now? You know, Deshaun Watson's going to have to deal with that, and we're going to have to wait and see how he deals with it. It's a situation where you've got a guy who played terrific football in 2020, as you pointed out, hasn't played football in a while. He's got all these allegations, which he's got has to be legally cleared. Then he gets back on the fo- on the football field. I don't know how long it's going to take him to be the same type of quarterback that we saw in 2020, if and when he gets back to that point. That has got to be a major conversation, a major issue. I would think it would be uh, a major topic for any team that's interested in trading for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, because it's not like he's been practicing with the team. He's on the active roster but he's not dressing and he's not actively practicing with the team at all. He's not running anything. He's not running drills. He might be doing things on his own. We don't know a hundred percent what's happening there, but yeah, you mentioned it. It's not playing football for a full year. And then some at this point, because until the legal actions run its course, we, I mean, we're looking at 2022, the earliest we'd likely see him unless things really expedite um, in the, the court case. So we'll see a lot. to and, unpack. And again, and again, you're just, you're just talking about from the point of view that he hasn't played football uh, in a while, as I said, which I agree with. But listen, Sean Watson's a human being, just like you and I. And, and this has got to be weighing on him heavily. And regardless of even if he's found totally innocent uh, of any criminal charges or criminal intent, it, it's still going to, you know, in, in some people's minds, it's still going to loom large over him. And I'm sure, unfortunately, like I said, you know, this day and age, <laughs> Even if you are found innocent, people will still presume you're guilty, and, and, which I don't agree with. And that's something that Deshaun Watson will have to be dealing with moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, you, you already deal with unruly fans as is as an opposing starting quarterback. But now he's going to have to deal with it from practically everybody that's not a fan of him at this point moving forward. So it's a mental game. It's a physical game. It's, it's, it's a lot for him to unfold. And honestly, maybe that's one of the bigger things that's deterring a team from from making, you know, pulling the trigger on this type of deal as well. Cause it's a, it's a blockbuster if, and when it happens. And then it's, you know, for him and himself as well. So that's enough. This is again, like I said, a college football and NFL draft podcast. So let's get back to it. Last week we previewed week seven action. There were some, uh, some mixed results. We, you talked on Purdue and David Bell single-handedly basically beating Iowa, Iowa not built as a team to come back from a point def differential, but I think the biggest one here with Alabama's loss, the de facto number one, Georgia proving themselves as the top defense in the country, but also maybe even 
a system on offense that uh, that can move the ball and score some points. But uh, your biggest takeaways from Georgia versus Kentucky, Georgia cementing themselves as number one. Yeah, I thought both Kentucky tackles, Dare Rosenthal and Darren Kennard, actually played pretty well, especially Rosenthal. You can see that athleticism. He's able to block the edge. I mean, when you look at it, I, I think uh, Georgia ended up with three sacks. Most of them were uh, corner blitzes. Uh, I think Adam Anderson had a half a sack, something that if they weren't getting a lot of pressure up the field and off the edge. I think the difference was, you know, as you pointed out, you know, Georgia just has a lot of offensive firepower. They got a great defense, but they also have a lot of offensive uh, firepower. And, and when the quarterback was uh, bogged down, what did they do? They gave the, the ball to was Amir White, who takes off for a touchdown. Kentucky was not able to match that. Well, Kentucky did a good job early on with their defense. I thought the Kentucky tackles, offensive tackles, played relatively well, but they just weren't able to match it with the firepower and the versatility that Georgia was able to put on the field. Yeah, with how good the Kentucky line is, the interior really struggled, as any team is going to struggle. Jalen Carter, a uh, 2023 NFL draft prospect, really put forth what I thought was one of the more dominant efforts I've seen from an interior lineman. I mean, there was the run stop that he did where he took on center and guard at one point with, you know, mauling each guy with one arm at, at that point, moving down the line of scrimmage. So Jalen Carter is a guy, hails from Apopka High School, same high school as Warren Sapp. I feel like we're going to draw a natural comparison between the two eventually when we when you start to really study Jalen Carter, it's just, it's too easy. When you have uh, when you have Warren Sapp Avenue and Apopka and you go to the same high school and you're the same exact size, it just sort of fits. So uh, let's move on. Another big game, big name, I guess. We did not see Spencer Rattler. We did not see him, but we did see maybe the next coming of a Lincoln Riley first overall pick at quarterback two years down the road, true freshman, Caleb Williams already drawing significant praise and beats TCU as the Oklahoma Sooner single court single call. Yeah, I'm not going to go that route just yet, but I mean the thing is, like you said, that I watched the game. I thought there were plenty of moments in that game, or times in that game, opportunities to insert Spencer Rattler, and it never happened. So you got to wonder what's going to go, what's going to happen with Spencer Rattler at this point in time, unless Caleb Williams, you know, has an awful game. And they put Rattler in, or gosh forbid, has an injury. You know, what's the future for Spencer Rattler? Obviously, if Williams uh, finishes up the season and brings Oklahoma into the playoffs, Spencer Rattler, Rattler's future is not with the Oklahoma Sooners. He can't enter the NFL draft. So that was my biggest takeaway uh, from that game: is you know Spencer Rattler's future with o- Oklahoma is in limbo if it's not over. I think my other takeaway is. While we talk about Spencer Rattler, when we talk about the offense, to me, the Oklahoma defense has just been incredibly disappointing this year. I mean, just giving up tons of points. You look at that talent on that defense, especially in the front seven. They got some good players in the secondary, and they just can't seem to stop anybody. They're giving away, they're giving away, uh, giving up tons of points. And to me, that is as big a story as Spencer Rattler. Yeah, it's a bigger college football story, in my opinion, too. It's it's There's talent across all these Big 12 defenses. Maybe it's a coaching problem in the Big 12. Maybe they just can't figure it out. They, they don't have good, good enough defensive coordinators out in the Big 12 because it seems like there's always a team that's got good players on defense. They just can never stop these Big 12 offenses. So I, I would like to see more from Oklahoma on, on defense, like you said, before we crown them as a potential Big 12 champions as well. Let's go to another defensive performance. You highlighted him last week. We'll highlight him again this week. Martin Emerson, Mississippi State's cornerback, had the big challenge of going up against Alabama in their passing attack. Mississippi State gets handled. Martin Emerson, though, specifically, how did he fare? 
Yeah, I was not too impressed with him. I, I think a lot of the concerns and criticisms I heard about Martin Emerson before the game, I saw during the game. He's big. He's tough. He's also relatively instinctive. But I saw a lack of quickness. I saw a lack of speed. I saw someone who couldn't stay with the Alabama receivers out of their breaks. And when he was, he was slipping all over the place. I saw a guy who got ran away from him in the open field. I, I saw a cornerback, and as I said last week with Emerson, very likely he enters the draft who may actually have to be pushed inside the safety at the next level because of lack of speed and quickness. I like his ball skills. I, I like his toughness. I just I think the athleticism is, is not there. And as someone had told me before we did last week's show, the problem with Emerson is he can't run. And I think that was prevalent during uh, the Alabama game when you saw it matched up against those speedy receivers. That brings an interesting question to my mind right away. In your experience – and your vast wealth of knowledge as well. Is that always a factor that put, would potentially push someone from a cornerback to a safety switch? Is it a lack of speed, but we like we like so much more of, of what he brings to the table? Is that just an immediate sort of gut reaction to, hey, he can't run as fast as I want him to at corner, but I love his ball skills, so let's move him into safety? Or is that are there other traits that go into, hey, he could also play safety? Yeah, well, it's primarily if he doesn't have the speed, but he's got the smarts and he's got the toughness, the move from cornerback to safety is an expected one. Whereas if you're a college safety, but you don't have the great instincts, but you're athletic and you're big and you're physical, oftentimes they'll, they'll, they will take a college safety and move them into a bump and run corner at the next level with a degree of success. Obviously, it all comes down to coaching, but you've got to have the speed to play cornerback and you've got to have the instincts to play safety. I like it. That's uh, see, like I said, every time I, we record one of these, I'm I'm always I always learn. I'm always itching to learn more as well. So we're gonna we're gonna do this forever. I feel like as long as we both can. So you talked about Emerson last week as a draft prospect and news, and then we saw him on the field. We saw Louisiana cornerback Makai Garner on the field last Tuesday in the the Sun Belt action on Tuesday last week. So we have some. Uh, this is NFL draft news section of the of between the hashes so let's uh let's set the tone here makai garner you have some news for the uh 2022 nfl draft yeah garner was uh one of my top risers last week if, if you uh, read the risers and sliders column uh, he's a big corner he's somebody that i wrote about over the summer uh, he's a shutdown guy i'm told very likely makai garner of louisiana or louisiana lafayette whichever is your preference very likely to enter the draft i know he's been speaking with agents uh Good chance he enters direct, and he is well liked in the scouting community. I mean, someone in the area told me they think he's a first rounder based on his size, his speed. The, the comment given to me was, and I wrote it. I wrote it in the column. You don't find corners who are this big, this physical, this athletic, and can shut down opponents uh, every day. They're very rare to find, uh, w which is why this guy thought that this one scout thought that Garner could slide in the late first round. I don't agree with it. I think it's more second day. Uh, uh, Second-day material. But listen, Appalachian State, I think they had 130 yards total uh, passing or 130 uh, passing yards uh, against Louisiana Lafayette, Louisiana in large part because Mecky Garner was able to shut them down. Last night against a decent uh, Coastal Carolina team, uh, one of their receivers, Malik Williams, I believe had 210 receiving yards all by himself. That tells you something about – not just Louisiana defense, but the way Garner is able to shut down opponents. Yeah, it's sort of the switch from Coastal maybe being the best team in the Sun Belt to maybe we look at Louisiana. The reason they were ranked in the top 25 for preseason and how they were able to shut down App State, who then essentially was able to throw all over 
who we thought was the best defense in the conference of Coastal. Right. Virginia, so yeah, Coast, Coastal's not you know Coastal doesn't have a bad defense. They've got some good players on it. On yeah. side. It's a uh, that's a lot of fun. The Sun Belt is always fun. This year might even be one of the better ones because we have three, maybe even four top tier teams from the Sun Belt. So as we as we shift and all the conference alignment. So once that's settled, I'm sure we'll talk about the conference realignment uh, in the coming weeks as well. So haven't forgotten about that. That's in the back of the brain. So let's keep the NFL draft news on. I'm asked about him now, seemingly wherever I go on radio. You've been on him for a long time now this season. Cincinnati running back Jerome Ford blows up against UCF, but overall it's just more than what we've seen uh, week in and week out from him. Yeah, Alabama transfer, a guy, another one who was a rival last week. I think the thing that really surprised me about Ford was the absolute speed. I mean, when you look at his playing style, he seems like a guy who's going to pound it between the tackles. He's more of a grinder. He had a couple times last week. I mean, he had, what, 75-yard run where he ran away from the defensive back that he, uh, in the secondary of, of Central Florida. And then when I spoke to some, a couple of people in the know, they said, yeah, this guy can run. He's a lot more than a big 215-pound power runner when he gets some open space he can take off and i think that will really help his draft stock because that versatility that speed that ability to be more than you know a short yardage ball carrier is going to help him as i wrote on uh, in in the horizons and sliders uh, piece i'm told very likely jerome ford enters the draft yeah he's had one big year but the shelf life for ball carriers is not that big as we spoke about, you know, the past couple of weeks with underclassmen from Cincinnati likely to enter the draft. I mean, this is the year that you're going to go for the gusto, and then you're probably going to see the doors open, uh, floodgates open, and a lot of their underclassmen take off for the NFL, which is why a lot of their top guys like my J. Sanders came back because they thought they could have the season that they're personally having. I like the Cincinnati team. I like Jerome Ford a lot. I liked what they were able to showcase against the team who calls himself UC Fast, after all. So if he's able to run away from UC Fast and this top, you know, Central Florida speed, Florida speed's different, and he was able to run past him. So I'm a – color me a fan. A shelf life of running back obviously also takes into consideration too because you got to cash in while, uh, while the value is hot. So another person, the player we – doesn't get talked about a lot, but he's a common name that people like to talk about because it's easy to talk about quarterbacks. Arizona State, signal caller, Jaden Daniels, they lose to the Utes. They got a lead early, and then they were not able to come back. Jaden Daniels, I think we've talked about it actually on this show, where he hasn't been able to or hasn't been put in a position this year to have to beat teams. He was put in a position to beat the Utes, and he couldn't quite do it. So what are we hearing from Jaden Daniels? Yeah, I'm very good chance he enters the draft. I know he himself, as well as people – Family members are speaking with agents. That is a sign that he's leaning towards entering the draft. He's a great athlete. He's got all the physical tools. I still think he needs some time to become a passer. But we're looking at a draft where, you know, it, there's a lack of talent at the quarterback position. I don't think Jaden Daniels has any chance of being the first quarterback taken, or even the first couple of quarterbacks taken, but he's got great upside. Uh, you know, getting back to that game at Utah, when I when I went to bed, uh, Arizona State was winning. I wake up, I find out that Utah won. Utah has been through a lot. I think that was an emotional win. They lost what their second player in the season, yeah. uh, who was killed by uh, was killed by with gun violence. So I, I think they were re- really that was an emotional win that the Utes needed that they came away with. But the story here, as far as the NFL draft is concerned, good chance that Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from Arizona State, entered. Like I think it's long since thought of he as an NFL quarterback as he's gained weight and he's shown glimpses. I, yeah. I like him. I like his ability, you know, out of structure and 
scrambling. I mean, he's a dynamic athlete. And so I see it. This is a, it's a wide open quarterback race. So at this point, why not throw your hat in the ring? Yeah, I, I think right now you're looking at a fourth, maybe a third rounder. And he's a guy who has got all the tools. You're just going to have to develop those tools and turn them from a thrower and athlete into a passer. It's a, it's a, it's a tough road. And then speaking on Utah, a terrible situation that they've turned into, you know, making light. There's always the moments of silence. They actually had, you know, they had smiles for those players and they got loud for Aaron Lowe and, and Ty Jordan. So those two uh, lost Anyways, Utah, great situation out of a terrible, terrible sense. So let's, uh, we look back, you got to look back to look forward. So let's preview week eight college football. Can't believe we're already at week eight. Mid-season All-Americans are already out. We're already talking about the back stretch of the college football season, which then turns into uh, everyone else's draft season. It's always draft season here at Pro Football Network. And so let's preview week eight. Let's discuss some things here. There's a fun matchup. That last year, Kenny Pickett throws several interceptions against Clemson. They open as huge underdogs. This year, they are the favorite against yeah. Clemson in an ACC matchup that is truly turned face. And we have some interesting draft matchups. So, in my opinion, Kenny Pickett at quarterback for Pitt versus Clemson's back seven. This can be either a showcase game for either one of those two, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we talked about Kenny Pickett last week in the lead up to the Virginia Tech game, and he picked Virginia Tech apart, and they've got some good players in their secondary. You know, Andrew Booth, who was highly thought of in the, in the scouting world, maybe a third-round pick, guy who's going to be a nickelback at the next level. Obviously, you got the James Skalski, who uh, plays like a, a man possessed, and I'm sure when they send him up the field on the blitz, he's, he's going to do everything he can to, uh, to uh, decapitate the ball from uh, Kenny Pickett. Pickett's having an outstanding season, and he's, you know, he's a real smart, tough quarterback. He's a great game leader. I just don't know that he's got the physical skills to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And this is going to be a topic of conversation week in and week out, literally up until draft weekend. And then afterwards, when he gets into camp, another big challenge, for Kenny Pickett and Pittsburgh Panthers, uh, another opportunity for him to uh, basically blow up naysayers such as myself. <laughs> That's uh that would be something. I honestly, in my opinion, I hope for the sake of calamity, and for the sake of uh, Kenny Pickett, because I think he, the kid deserves it. But I, I hope we're here next week talking about how he blew apart this Clemson defense. I think that would be a lot of fun. I I'm gonna stay bipartisan. I'm not gonna root for either team, but I think I can root for the player, and the player that I'd want to root for at this point of the season is Kenny Pickett. So it's a uh, altogether. I mean, we're talking about ACC football, and that's uh, and it's not Clemson being hey they're gonna how much are they gonna beat this team by? It's Clemson maybe fighting for a victory here against Pittsburgh. So I, I like where we're at at 2021. So then let's go the other way. If we were talking about maybe a couple years ago, early 2000s, USC versus Notre Dame could have been billed as another game of the century type game. Not so much this year because they're going with Jack Cohen, Notre Dame. So that's a different story. Notre Dame will have their own troubles on offense. But let's look at the other side of the field. Drake London making these amazing one-handed catches all over the field. And Keaton Slovis, USC's quarterback, they had a huge challenge going up against Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, Keaton Slovis, who uh, has his own troubles when Jake, uh, Drake London's not on the field. I mean, you know, Hamilton, uh, we've talked about him time and time again. Drake London was a, uh, a riser in my column, I believe, week three or four. And the big question mark here is Keaton Slovis. Uh, if Kyle Hamilton or any of the other Notre Dame defensive backs key on Drake London and they're able to slow down Drake London, is Keaton Slovis able to use his other weapons? I mean, Keaton Slovis has not had the type of year that scouts were expecting. I spoke with somebody out west 
who told me that they look at Keaton Slovis right now as a potential solid second quarterback uh, on an NFL roster. They look at his size. They, put, they look at his arm strength, which, which they question. The inconsistent play, the inconsistent uh, decision-making, the fact that he's consistently relying on a single receiver uh, to get the job done. They don't think it translates that well, which is kind of, you know, I, I guess maybe shocking, surprising. I don't, I don't know the words you want to use because a lot of people thought that Keaton Slovis had potential to be a first-round pick. Now you're looking at a guy who's probably third or fourth round, and I think this is a huge matchup against not only Notre Dame, but obviously Kyle Hamilton, everybody's, seemingly everybody's favorite safety these days. Yeah, I mean, his ability to close close space in a, I mean, a blink of an eye, he showcased that against FSU with those two cross-field interceptions. But Slovis, I mean, hey, a backup job in the NFL for a long time. It's uh, the Colt McCoy. It's not a bad gig overall to maintain it. I mean, you're still one of the 64, 96 best quarterbacks in the world, depending on if a team rosters three. So, hey, at that point, Slovis is – I will say one thing watching it. It's, to me, what's making Drake London have such a great season is some of Slovis's decisions. He's throwing into double coverage because he knows London's going to come down with it. London's able to make these – highlight real catches and showcase all of the skill set because of Slovis making errant throws, ill-advised throws that he shouldn't throw. So as while we're seeing the emergence and the rise of Drake London, we're seeing the sort of decline of Slovis's ability to to dissect the defense and, and find his other receivers. So this one he'll be he'll be tested. And I think Drake London, you know, we've talked about this before, Keen Butlers of the world, you know, the bigger receivers that's able, who are able to physically dominate the opposition on Saturday don't project well into the NFL. I think Drake London is, is going to break that ball because he's a silky smooth, the wide out, he runs solid, decent routes. That's a great route. You run the good routes. He's able to separate with route running. He's able to find the open spot. I, I, bottom line is I think that Drake London is more than just a big receiver who basically wins out for the content to throw. I think he's a real good pass catcher. Yeah, he's interesting to me. We've we've saw in the early 2000s into the 20 teens the tight ends that were former basketball players. Now we have Drake London, the the current basketball player on USC as well, who's a wide receiver. So he's it's gonna jump through the roof when he does his testing, I assume, because of that basketball playing ability. So I love London's skill set as a dual threat almost. Uh, so let's let's do another one here. Everybody's uh, favorite, Kenyon Green, Texas A&M offensive lineman, and Jameer Johnson, one that you like, and we've talked about a lot here. Gets a big task. South Carolina, Kingsley, in Inigbare off the edge. So they have to pass protect for a – It's South Carolina's not very good. Texas A&M's going to win. But there's an individual matchup there that you have to watch whenever Inigbare is on, on the defensive line for South Carolina. A natural pass rusher, a guy who's athletic, who's very fast off the edge and up the field, who literally is going to be going up against two offensive guards. I mean, Jameer Johnson's done a terrific job at Texas A&M this year at left tackle, as we've talked about. As we've highlighted here, uh, Kenyon Green was kicked out the left tackle against Alabama. I didn't think he did all that well, but I think it's a, you know a chance for Barre to exploit these guys. We'll see what happens. This is a big matchup for uh, especially uh, Jameer Johnson and Barre. Uh, I, I think whoever wins out is going to score some points in the scouting community with this one. That's a that's big claim. So it, little small things to watch in an otherwise game that probably is going to end up with like a twenty five point victory for Texas A and M. So overall, it's a it's an interesting slate of games this weekend. It's college football though, so every Saturday is still the best Saturday in the world when college football is on. Especially if you can find these 
fun NFL draft matchups. I got to shout out my my Florida State Seminoles too. Getting a bye week last week so they can prepare for UMass this week. You know, we got to really secure that victory. So go oh, for it. Tallahassee is really in shambles. I maybe they can maybe this is the turning point. You know, UNC victory, take a bye and beat the Minutemen with a with a week extra for preparation. So some exciting football on all week long. And uh, obviously, we're going to be watching the Deshaun Watson saga as it continues to unfold and take place. So with nothing else but football on the horizon, for Tony Pauline, I'm Cam Miller. This was Between the Hashes.